Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brindle, and uh, it's a basketball edition for the most part this week. I've got my main man, Justin Berg, riding, riding shotgun, and we will be talking about the Bearcats' big matchup this weekend in Newark as they take on the Florida Gators. A very big test for Cincinnati after last week's disaster at the Centos Center. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about there and, and all things surrounding uh, the program coming off of the Xavier loss and going into maybe their their second biggest, definitely their second biggest out-of-conference game and one of their three or four biggest games of the year. After that, I'll be joined for a little bit at the end by Shane Kenny. Uh, after begging and pleading for multiple weeks, we are finally going to allow Shane on the podcast for a few minutes. If he screws it up, he won't be back on ever. So no pressure, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get it started on the basketball side. Welcome in my main man, Justin Berg. What's up, Bergy Knights? Hey, man. I am deep into some scouting. Um, and really been diving into Florida and spending a little time on Mississippi State while I have a little downtime today. So definitely some tough games coming up for UC. And we had a little development. Uh, you may have noticed, readers, that um, – at the bottom of the scouting report, we um, got a new sponsor, and uh, it is Snips Media. So Snips is something that you can use with your social media. You can make some money. You can track your audience engagement. Um, you can share content with it. It's pretty cool. Um, it's kind of like a new wave of uh, you know being an influencer, and, and especially if you're in business, um, you can really track your audience and make some money and I started using a little bit chat have you dove in at all um, to the uh, snips? unfortunately I've uh, been uh, at other things dealing with other things at the moment but uh, I, it, right. it is on my list to get through it cool you can get an app uh, but yeah you know just it, and the, the website is sni.ps really easy there's some tutorials on there check it out you might be able to make some extra money so we appreciate Snips uh, sponsoring the BCJ podcast and uh, some of my writing on the website. Welcome to the site, Snips. Very much, very go. much appreciated. We we had to find a way to get Berg some some extra cash because God <laughs> knows this isn't a high paying job and and he spends a lot of time doing that. I know you're you're probably just bothered tonight because we're doing the podcast and the Gators tip off in 25 minutes. Yeah, it looks like that. And they'll have a pretty tough game, right? Yeah. It, Illinois, Chicago, Lo- eight and Loyola, one. Loyola, Chicago. Oh, Loyola. Yeah. That's right, Loyola. I'm sorry. Eight and one. I saw the I saw their record. Uh what, obviously what I do like about that is it gives them a game in between that loss. Right. So unless they lose this one too, but uh, you know, hopefully it <laughs> it takes their mind off of that Florida State loss so they're not um coming out like a ball of fire uh against the Bearcats on Saturday. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, a fair bit of our listeners could have been tuned into that uh, professional football game Monday night. But uh, meanwhile, the the Seminoles were in Gainesville just taking it to the Gators, um, really using their athleticism and length. They forced the Gators into 17 turnovers, which is a ton for them. The Gators are in the top five in uh, lowest turnover percentage, so that was a – Really, an eye-popping number. Uh, they looked like they sat in the three t- or two-three zone a lot, got in the passing lanes, and then they really attacked the rim and um, they ended up beating Florida eighty-three to sixty-six. 
And a lot of it was on second chance opportunities. The Seminoles got 23 of their 44 misses back. So, um, and that, that's obviously what the Bearcats are trying to do this year with the pressure. And, the, and obviously they always want to try to get on the offensive glass. So looks like there's a clear blueprint uh, to beating the Gators. But um, I wouldn't imagine they're going to turn the ball over as much no. on, on Saturday. We'll get to Florida in a minute. I know you've got, you've yeah. got other things. You've got a list you informed me. I said, oh, yeah, I I said Justin, what would you like to talk about tonight? As we were setting up the podcast, he said, I have a list. So <laughs> list away, Mr. Berg. All right. Well, if um, – if you're listening to this podcast and you were on the message board today, I, I did uh, start a thread about the five spot. Um, Chad, we talked the other day. That was one of your main concerns uh, after the Xavier game. And obviously it's Coach Cronin's concern, as you could have heard on his post game. Uh, Washington struggled mightily in that game. Brooks didn't give you a whole lot. So let's just go through the list of the candidates at the five spot because there were four different Bearcats that uh, logged minutes at that position. Really, five uh, this past Saturday. Who's the fifth? Gary. Okay, okay. Trey, right. Trey wasn't always playing the five when him and Gary were on the floor together. So that's kind of okay. that's kind of an either or in that situation, depending on the matchup. I don't think there technically is a four or a five when you're playing Trey and Gary together because it's just you know it's matchup related. Um, but I would say both of those guys were kind of alternating into that that situation depending on each trip down the floor so in actuality they were so desperate to figure out something that worked there were five different guys that played the five spot on uh on last saturday yeah exactly okay well let's start with trayvon scott um i I, it feels like he gives you the most defensive versatility with his ability to guard the perimeter um he so far he seems to be playing pretty smart on offense obviously his field goal percentage is astronomical and um, he can pass the ball he had the highest Ken Palm offensive rating in the X game. So um, what do you feel about Trayvon? How do you feel about Trayvon in that slot getting a lot of minutes moving forward? Um, I, I don't love it because I think it's something that can be effective if you're playing a team with a smaller, like more of a stretch, you know, not a, not a true five. But I don't know if you want him down there against like a 6'9", 250-pound, you know, block-to-block scorer. Um, so I think with him, it's situational. And, and Florida might be a decent situation because with Johnny Banu out, they don't really have a, a traditional five. Um, I think he definitely allows you, if they're planning on switching everything, which I don't know that I would do against Florida, because then they're just going to run you off ball screens and you're going to have Trayvon Scott against, or Gary Clark against Chris Choiza or uh, Kevon Allen, and I don't think that's a wise idea. Um, but in some situations, I think there there are times where you can go Gary and Trey together uh, and be effective. But in most games, uh, I prefer Trayvon backing up the four and, and being, you know, a solid contributor um, that, that gives you quality minutes when Gary's not on the floor. Right. Okay. And 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 you mentioned the switching screens and things because. With the way, and we'll get into it, but but with the way that Florida spreads you out with the four guards, and they even have a couple of big guys that can pass and shoot and drive, um, you may need him to be able to to check some of the uh, you know cut off some of that dribble penetration. I feel like that's been a big issue for UC, but but Trey obviously he uh, he accorded himself well against Xavier, four offensive boards, two for two from the field. So um, I think he put himself squarely in the running to get some more minutes. I Another. Agree. Another guy who did that, 
was uh, Eliel Sosemi. Uh, the team appear- Here's what I've got in my notes. The team appears to become much more aggressive and energized with Sosemi on the floor. Rebound- his rebounding numbers are off the freaking charts. He leads the team in block percentage, and Synergy rates him as an excellent defender. And my question for you are, is he really that much of an offensive liability? And if not, doesn't he have to play? Yes, he is that much of an offensive liability. Yes, he has to play. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think those are like those. Those aren't like combined. I think those can be mutually exclusive, um, especially if you're playing with an engaged Evans and Cumberland and Clark and Kane Broom. You can afford a, a rim protector at the five. Um, I, I love the way the kid plays, and this is something that that we talked about on the Skinny Podcast today a little bit. You know, one of the biggest things about getting minutes is earning the trust of your coach. And I would say LEL at this point, outside of Gary Clark, might be the guy that you, as a coach, you would trust the most because you know there's no off switch on that kid. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get when you put him in the game. The thing with Kyle that's so frustrating is from game to game, from from media timeout to media timeout, it can, it can fluctuate. And with Ellie, you know exactly what you're going to get from him when you put him on the floor. He's going to play his ass off. He's going to do everything you ask him to do. He's going to rebound, and he's going to protect the rim. I, those are all positives. Right. And the reason I brought up the offensive liability thing is because obviously he's not going to be much of a scorer, but the amount of extra possessions or extra shots he can get you could offset that. And, and, and like you said, with the defense, with protecting the rim and just, just his energy, because it look, because, you know, at at times you see can look lethargic and um, not as, especially early on against Xavier, they looked a little shell shocked and things. And, and, and when he came in, it just seemed like a whole different ball game. So he's a a ball of energy. There's no question about that. Yeah. So I mean, he's only a freshman. It's only as he's only played in a handful of games. I guess he's six or seven games. I know he didn't play in one of the games. So, so I mean, right now, you so right there, that's a sophomore and a freshman. Uh, another sophomore would be Nasir Brooks. Uh, Synergy rates him as a below-average defender. His rebounding numbers have been average so far, and he hasn't been able to take advantage of his height down low on offense. So my question for you, Chad, is how is Nasir best used right now? Right now, I don't know, because the things that I saw him doing well over the summer are not translating to the games. He's not playing with confidence on the block. He, he's rushing everything. He's not showing you know, the patience and the footwork to get to that, that little hook shot that is pretty good when he, when he does what he's good at doing, but... At the moment, he's not doing that well. He's rushing it. He's getting, he's getting pushed off the block um, when he's trying to seal, when he's trying to duck in and get position. Um, right now, I, I'm not sure, and especially when you're, if you're comparing him to, say, to say Eliel, I, I'm playing Eliel because I know what I'm getting with him. With Nas, I haven't, I haven't seen that confidence i haven't seen that that trust that i just talked about that when you put him on the floor you know what you're going to get like it's it's supposed to be size and physicality and toughness 
And, and he didn't show any of those things against Xavier. And, again, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole guys into they are what we saw against Xavier, but that was the first really big game. And as soon as he got beat that second time by Sean O'Mara over the top, I knew that was it. That was the last we were going to see of him that night or that right. afternoon. Right. Um, he's He's got to step it up. Like, that light has to go off in his head to translate what he does on the practice floor to what he does on the game floor. And until he does that, the trust just isn't going to be there. And for good reason. Right. And it, I really think he has to be a difference maker defensively first and foremost to get those minutes. And that's that's what we had yeah. expected coming into the season. We thought that Kyle was going to provide the offense and then Nasir was going to pro- protect the rim, provide the defensive energy, and really deter anything at the basket. Um, but, yeah, he, he – and we've really only seen him up against Xavier. The other games haven't been that competitive, but um, – Well, there's just it, been no size in those other yeah, games. Yeah, like, exactly, yeah. But, he, but, but, see, that's the thing is, is – He still hasn't dominated. Right, that's the, – exactly. He hasn't taken advantage of his height down low. He's 6'11", and, you know, he's still young, so there's, there's definitely some upside there, but you'd like to see it evolve quicker than than it than it has so yeah right now i mean if you just talking about those three he'd be the third man on the totem pole as far as it sounds like based on your answers i i mean because of his experience i think he's he's second but that gap is closing really really fast okay i mean you know we're and i wouldn't be surprised if if leo was the first five off the bench um, on Saturday, uh, I I want to give Nas the benefit of the doubt because there's a ton of potential there, but it's got to start translating to the court when the when the bright lights are on, and and we just haven't seen him play with that confidence yet. Right. Okay. You know that's well, the thing with Elio. Yeah. Like I don't know that it's. I it, it, it could very well be that he just doesn't know any better. Like he's all so new to this. It's such a. I, I mean, I don't know how to exactly describe it, but it's, you know, it's, basketball is such a new thing to him, but the, he just goes out there and goes full blast uh, at all times. And surprisingly so far, it hasn't resulted in a lot of foul trouble. Because usually guys like that, like remember when Justin Jackson got here, you couldn't play him for like th- one media timeout and he had two fouls. And it hasn't manifested itself like that with Ellie yet. I know I, I, I'm trying to break myself. He does not want to be called Ellie. Yeah. So I'm trying to break myself of that because for a year, he was Ellie, and now he's Eliel. So I'm I'm working just, on that as best just I can. Learn, just get that get that last name down. Just call him Sosemi. Or is it Sosemi? I don't know. Okay. I, I'm I'm not that smart. <laughs> well, either way, he so far he's a lot further along than anybody thought. And, Except Larry Davis. And if you're if you're struggling to protect the rim, and, uh, and and you need some extra possessions, he's your guy. I think so. Okay, so let's let's get to the the, the starter and the, the 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 most polarizing figure on the Bearcat roster, Mr. Kyle Washington. Now, I, he obviously was uh, was involved in a lot of the comments on the thread today. So there was a couple things that popped out to me. Um, based on what people said. So 
here's a here's kind of a devil's advocate question for you, and that would be. Is it time to accept Kyle's shortcomings and revamp how this team plays when he's on the floor in order to get his points on the scoreboard? That's never going to happen. Okay. Especially at the five, where it's rim protection, rebounding, toughness. That's what that position is, right? Mick Cronin is never going to sacrifice those things for offense. Okay, not well... Com- not completely. Okay, well, what, what I'm saying... Now... now if you go back a couple of years when they had, they played a lot of that matchup zone because they didn't want Ellison to bury out on the perimeter. And so they, they really, they, and, and Gary wasn't quite ready yet to do that. So they, they played the matchup zone and they just allowed them to hang by the rim and it was pretty effective. So, but is, Ellis is that, was, Ellis was a high end shot blocker and rim protector. Okay. Kyle is not that, you know what I mean? Like, He'll get a couple coming, you know, coming from the weak side, and he'll get some guys there. He'll get a guy or two in transition here and there. But Kyle's he's not a guy that's going to stand in the paint and reject shots and be a rim protector. Hmm, you're right. So where so how do you best utilize him on defense? That's that seems to be the conundrum. I I, I don't know. You, you can't have him <laughs> switching out on the perimeter. I mean, that's just that just can't be. Um. And if he's not going to be a rim protector, then where do you what do you do? I mean, that's the hard part. Is like you can hide a wing, you can hide a forward, you can't really hide a center in a zone, and you can't really hide a center, you know, in a in a man to man that wants to switch. So, it, I mean, it's a tough question for Mick because yeah. it you to be at your best, you need his offense, right. But it's not going to come at the expense of everything else. So he can't – he's got to figure out a way to be effective in those other areas when the ball's not going in the basket for him. Right. Because when the ball starts going in the basket, he seems to be more engaged. Then, you know, when it's not, he gets frustrated. And then you see him make mistakes that – get him on the bench. It's, it's a really hard question, man. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a question I don't think we're going to have a really good answer for this season until we get through these, these four, this four-game stretch. Right. Because if, if he's ineffective in this four-game stretch, can you trust him when they're at Wichita State? Can, oh. can, you, can you trust him when they're – at Temple and Temple's trying to get, you know, a signature win or UCF's trying to get a signature win to get in the tournament or Houston or SMU, you know, I'm not sure. Right. Like he needs to come out of it. He needs to be a senior and come out of this on the other side playing well. Right now it hasn't happened. So when you look at him in his spots and obviously – we saw him get beat early and often against Xavier. Um, he obviously can't pick up uh, wings and cut off drives and things. So, so what what do you see as far as like how they try to utilize him? Is it just are they just playing their regular defense and he just has to switch and pick up and communicate, or do you see them uh, trying to have him hang back a little more? I mean, I, mean, what, I just don't get what hanging back like. What what do you solve by him hanging back? Yeah. I mean, I guess that you just don't get him switched on the perimeter. 
But, yeah, I mean, you're, you'll have to you'll have to hedge and do some things to not switch at the five. Yeah. Because um, I don't like – the way basketball is anymore, if teams pick up on that and they've got a guy like Choiza or, or, or Kevon Allen, they're just going to say, okay, who's Kyle got? If they're going to switch, you get the ball at the top. Whoever Kyle got, has comes up and sets the ball screen, we'll get the switch and we'll play it from there. Yeah. Like you don't even have to run much offense in that situation. Right, so you'd have to you'd have to defend the pick and roll better because you know they're going to put him into a pick and roll, or differently, not better, but just differently. Yeah, you're so that, have so there's to, just yeah, there's just a lot. Hard, of, you're going to yeah. have to hard hedge. You're going to have to blitz. Right. You're going to have to do some of that stuff. But. Yeah. So that then that we haven't seen the Bearcats do a lot of that recently. So I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's it's a really hard question, and but you need those points. I feel like so either you're gonna you're gonna try to play a different style and and ramp up the defense and go with the better defensive guy, or you're going to have to just live with his mistakes and try to hide him as best you can. I don't know what the answer is. And, and really the other thing I wanted to say is that there was a good point on the board that somebody said that, you know what, if you do replace Kyle with a lesser offensive player, then that just puts more pressure on Gary that put the, the defense can pay more attention to him. Yeah. Clog the paint on him. And it's not as much space because Kyle at least is a threat and he spreads the floor. So that is, this is, this is going to be very, very have, interesting. He has to get going. Yeah. Like, that's the only, like, we can, we can talk through it as many ways as you want. The bottom line is Kyle's got to figure it out and get going. Yeah. Because if, if Kyle doesn't figure it out and get going, it's a lot like when we were talking about Kane through the beginning of the season. If Kane doesn't figure it out and get going, if those two guys don't have it going, this team isn't what we thought it was. Because what we thought it was was a team that, through their first five or six players, was very talented offensively and, and, and had more talent offensively than Mick Cronin has had. And then you had a, some depth that had some experience on the bench to be able to come in and supplement those guys with some defense. Well, if, three of those, if two of those five guys aren't, aren't – and, and, the, and these are two of the, the, you know, two of the five guys that are supposed to be the most aggressive, along with Cumberland. Now you're relying on Jacob, Jaron, and Gary, and we've seen in the past Jacob and Gary. Gary's been more assertive throughout this season, without question, but those two guys want to blend. They want to be team guys. So it, it looks completely different. The whole picture like, is turned sideways. If, if Kyle and Kane aren't aggressive and getting you points and guys that you can have on the floor, it changes everything. Exactly. So – a lot, of, a lot of big decisions coming up, and, and it, it, looking at, I mean, obviously you don't want to just point at one game and feel like that's uh, going to determine everything, but it, it really was pretty disconcerting that, uh, that that's what happened on Saturday in a game that they had five days to prepare for and really never had a, a prayer in that game, at, you know, from, from start to finish. So, um, and, and I think that the, the thing that stood out to me, and I know that, that other than the rebounding, but the defense to give up 89 points, um, you, you, ain't beat, you ain't beating anybody on the road. So let, let's get into the defense real quick here. So to me, and this is something that, that the Bearcats have struggled with the last few years, as far as I can tell, but biggest weakness to me seems to be limiting dribble penetration. It feels like it costs them against X um, on some of the dribble flips, on some of the turn the corner type of drives, um, which – 
causes the defense to have to account for the driver and left some some wide open shooters. Um, heading into this game on Saturday, I mean, you know, looking at Florida, they got four guards. Three of them are just incredibly tough to keep out of the paint. Um, and it, and synergy rates the Bearcats as below average on catch and shoot. Really, the only thing that they don't grade well at on defense is the catch and shoot. And I I, I imagine that those things are correlated. So. Is that what you see too on the defense that the, the, the dribble penetration is an issue? I think that I just don't think they're very connected yet. Okay. Um, you know, and it doesn't hurt you in those bye games because those and and that's where not playing somebody before the Xavier game hurt is because a lot of times in those games, like you don't have to be connected because they're going to miss the open shot. Yeah. More often than not, where when you play high major guys, if they get wide open looks, they're going in. Um, I, I just haven't seen them really be that that airtight Bearcat defensive unit yet, um, and that leads to you know a lot of that that stuff because the the dribble penetration stuff like Quentin Gooden is going to get by Kane Broom and Justin Jennifer from time to time. He's bigger. He's got a little bit more athleticism. He's stronger. He's going to turn the corner on them and get into the paint. What I'm not seeing is I'm not seeing Cincinnati-style help. Where that stuff, and this could be the loss of Kevin Johnson being, you know, being felt or being adjusted to, because that's, you know, that was one of Kevin's great strengths. You know, everybody wants to say, well, he didn't have the steals or didn't have the measurables. Yeah, but what he could do is, is, come over and correct that mistake when a guy turned the corner and, and turn him away and, and get him back going in the other direction or not headed, at least not headed straight for the rim with a head of steam. Um, they haven't shown to be able to do that really yet. Um, talking to Rick on the skinny podcast today, he said he went back and, and watched most, you know, watched the game possession by possession on synergy. And he said they, that Trayvon Blewett just torched Jacob Evans. Yeah. And Jake is going to be the one, like, he's the guy with the athleticism and he's a junior, and you're kind of looking at him to step into that role of, like, key defender on this team, and he hasn't, it, it hasn't happened. So he's going to have to do some soul searching on that, and you're going to have to, you know, when those, it, those you know, they're, they're trying to play with their point guards, they're trying to play up and under you because they're small. Well, you know, at times if a guy gets a step, he's going to get by. Somebody's got to be there to cut that off and redirect. And we didn't see that Saturday, and, and it's going to be a big deal coming up, you know, unless they, they try to do Florida State and they put some pressure and then go sit back in the zone. But they don't really sit in a 2-3 zone. It's a matchup zone. So it's a little bit different deal. And I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm – this defense has – a bunch of questions in my brain right now because, you know, the metrics look great, but my eyes tell me there's some areas that I've got a lot of concern with to this yeah. point. Yeah, and I and I, I noticed plenty of things in, against those those weaker teams that I felt like, man, they got away with that. I mean, it was, it was plenty of times where I had that thought in my head. And you just bringing up Kevin Johnson there, I don't think that – uh, we really thought that the Bearcats would miss Troy Copan and Kevin Johnson um, 
as much. And maybe we didn't realize that they are missing them, but like you just said, with with Troy Copain as a 6'4 point guard, now you have smaller point guards, you have to put more pressure, and it's easier to drive by a guy who's right up on you, especially especially because if, if they make any contact, it's a foul, whereas you know Troy could play a step off and, and at least had a better chance to cut off some of the drives and it's hard to shoot over him, that type of thing. And then, like you said, Kevin was the quarterback of that defense. And uh, and really, if if there's if there's not a good communication, there's not help side like you're used to seeing, deterring some of these drives and redirecting, then yeah, they're missing those guys a lot. And and it it, it may have shown in the Xavier game as well in terms of um, you know just showing some poise out there and and, and kind of stemming the tide. So. But either way, they don't have those guys. There's nothing you can do about it. Going into this Florida game with these guards that Florida has, they can all shoot, they can all drive, and that would be my concern. And so, it, you know, and, and and here's another devil's advocate question for you: um, Is this Bearcats team actually quick and athletic enough to really put a lot of pressure on the perimeter without? costing you, you know, the, um, you know, costing drives and, and, and dribble penetration? Um, yes and no. I think it's magnified because, like we've talked about with, with Kyle in the game, you, you don't have that rim protector to erase those mistakes. Nas hasn't really shown a ton of shot blocking ability. Um, so it's. Yeah. It, I, uh, that's, that's, you know, it, you can get out there and get after a guy like that. And get away with it if you've got somebody that's that's that can cover your mistake on the back end. Right. Right now they don't have a help defender that's showing the ability to cover those mistakes, and they don't have a rim protector that if it does get to the rim, that can make things difficult. So, I mean, I know this makes it sound like they're like 137th in defense. No, no, no. No, I'm, but I'm no. saying like yeah. the, the issues that we're talking about make it sound like that. That's. That's not the intention. It's just that the expectations are very high for this team. Right. But, uh, but I will say that, that I, I really feel like that the way that this team's set up right now, that allowing dribble penetration is, is just an absolute no. Like you just can't have it because it just breaks too many things down. And like you said, the rim protection is suspect other than Gary and then sometimes if Jacob drops down. So going up against Florida – I just don't know if pre- I don't know if pressuring the perimeter is the right move. I just don't I don't know. I don't I don't want them being able to penetrate and kick and, and get rid well, I mean, of threes and let let's get into Florida. We got about, okay. about twelve minutes here on this basketball segment. All right. Florida State didn't really pressure them a ton though. They sat back in that two three. Yeah, they pressed a little though. Yeah, and I don't mind pressing them a little bit. Yeah. And they and they got in passing lanes, um, which, you know, the Bearcats are also also aim to do but the, the thing on that is i think a lot of you know where florida is struggling and we're seeing it right now in the beginning of this um loyola chicago game they've turned it over twice when they've tried to get it into the post and loyola is just crowding the post and getting hands on the ball and knocking it away <clears throat> there they go again that's the third time now. Choiza tried to dribble in from the top of the key and got sloppy with it, and, and they knock it away. So maybe the key is not 
pressuring them outside the three-point line. It's pressuring them inside the three-point line. Yeah. Because that's exactly what Florida State did, and, and right now it's working for Loyola. Right. That's, that's what's what interesting yeah. with this Florida yeah. team, man. There's a lot of times you'll, you'll see a team come out early in the season and rip off five, six, seven, eight wins. Or you're, you know, have, they had the game with Duke where they, they probably should have won but lost at the end, um, and they look unstoppable, and then somebody puts that blueprint out there. And then as soon as that blueprint is out there, it's pretty easy to follow. Now, you know, the hope is that that, that didn't happen to Cincinnati last Saturday. Yeah, that's you the see, other. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a big-time concern because, I mean, they, they were exposed on both ends, really. I mean, if you're Florida, you just you – just, I'm not going to let Gary Clark beat me. I'm going to see if UC can make outside shots. I mean, that's just going to have to – that's what's going to end up being the approach, I'm sure, for opponents. Eight to four Loyola. All right, keep an eye on that one. I'm keeping so, an eye on it. Yeah, so, so okay, so do the Bearcats, I mean, because if, if Florida State didn't really pressure the perimeter, because, again, I mean, that, that drive, is, is that's what they do. I mean, they drive, they, they, they trail behind the drive, they kick out shots, they get a lot of rhythm threes. They were making everything the first five, six games of the season up until about the last eight minutes against Duke. And, and then, you know, obviously they, they couldn't hit a shot against uh, – Florida State. Now they did have that tough game against New Hampshire in Game Three, where yeah. they they were really cold from three, and it looked like that was kind of that was another half court type of game. So they and, and they they advanced the ball quickly. I mean, this stuff's all in my scouting report, but but they just when they get a flow and they're moving and cutting and and they're able to operate and do what they want to do, and they start getting into a rhythm, you almost have no chance. They're damn near unstoppable if that's yeah. how they're playing. Right. So it, you. It almost and, and the Bearcats want to play fast too. I mean that's what that's what Cronin's been saying. But I'm not sure if you want to get into a running game with them and allow no. them to get a rhythm. I, I want this. I want this game in the 60s possession wise. Yeah. I, I I don't want to see this game. If this game is at 76 possessions, I think UC's in trouble. Me too. I think if this game is at 68 possessions, they're in a very good spot to win. Now. The problem with that is that's probably going to allow Florida to hang around and, you know, they can get hot in the final three minutes and beat you. But if you're running and gunning with them, unless, unless you see is just scorching hot from three as well, like I don't, I don't think getting in a shooting contest with Florida is where you want to be. No. I mean, they, they and, have much more team speed than UC does across the board. I mean, and I think UC's yeah. advantage is in the post. Yeah, and, and with some of their bigger – perimeter players too like yeah. Cumberland and Evans because Florida does have a couple of smaller guards with Chioza and Allen's only 6'2". Um, you know they, they have they have a really good floor stretcher in, in Igor Kulichov. He's 6'5", a Russian guy who he can get going but if, as long, if you just bother him and make sure that he's not squared up his percentage goes way down. Yeah. The guy the guy that's scary is Jalen Hudson. He, the transfer from Virginia Tech. He's averaging over 20 a game. He's 6'6". Six six because he makes guarded threes. He drives to the hole. He's athletic. He can finish with either hand. Uh, the guy Cincinnati he, loved. Yeah. Well, he, well, he's a handful because that that's the type of player that's been given. I mean, that that's like that's like Buffalo C.J. Massenburg, but even taller and, and potentially even more dangerous. Um, and, and obviously, he torched UC for twenty nine. So it's it and, and really the key will be. I mean, you can't let Allen and Chioza into the paint because then Hudson. 
he gets, gets room to do yeah. whatever he can do what it wants to do um they're big guys you know they they've got they've got a a pretty good rim protector to to step in for um Igbunu. Uh, what's his name? Cavarius Hayes, number thirteen. He had sixty shot blocks last year, so six nine. Not much offense. Long, um, he's athletic. He's really skinny. Yeah, and the other guy is Keith Stone, who's six eight, and um, he's actually pretty skilled offensively. He's not much of a rim protector. And then they've got the the big Australian. What's his name? Gack. Ding number Gack. twelve. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, but so their their bigs are. Um, you know they can spread the floor a little with uh, with the with two of the three. Not Hayes; he's more of a defensive player. But the rest of the guys spread the floor, and and the Bearcats just have to contain the perimeter and and try to make sure that they don't allow rhythm threes and and cut off penetration. And and they also have to make sure they don't let Florida run. So that's a lot. I mean, communication and, and transition is a big key. So definitely a lot a lot on the, the coaching staff's plate preparing for this game. Yes, but like I said, you hope the blueprint is out there. Yeah. But like you said, it can go both ways, though, right? That's what you also said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can. But uh, you hope in terms of defending, in terms of slowing them down, because I thought through the first three weeks of the season, that was a team that really you just couldn't slow down. And then Florida State had them do a crawl. Right. So and that's what I mean in terms of, of the blueprint on them. Yeah. Well, um, you, you remember the game – even just the a couple games against UC and some of those bye games, teams would press them just to show them that press, and then and then and then end up in a zone, and so it made the Bearcats think, and then the, so the number of possessions went down. It took them longer to get a shot. So that seems to be what works against Florida. That's what I would look at. Okay, now let me ask you this, Chad. So must win. I mean, if you want to get a high seed. You already lost um, to Xavier. You got to split these two, don't you? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, still, any way you look at Florida, you have to feel pretty confident as as Loyola makes a three and it's fifteen to eight. Um, you have to look at this as the marquee because I think Florida, unless we're just watching them unravel, which I don't think we are. Um, that's a top four seeded team, right? So to get a neutral win over you know a top fifteen type team is massive, and this team needs that. You know that they had you know I, I think Mississippi State has improved, but I don't think they're very very good. I think that's a game UC should win at home, um, as long as they can play the game in Westwood. I like what UC brings against that UCLA team. I, I still think even with the loss, you can come out of this four-game stretch at 2-2. Two and two. But you come out of it at 2-2 two and two with losses to the two teams that really matter. Yeah. And you don't – you know, then getting a high seed means you have to have proven that you can beat a seed that's that high. That's, that's, why, that's why the committee places teams there, unless you just have an ungodly record. Because last year the best team UC beat was a six seed, and then they lost to them twice, and they had a win over an eleven and I think a nine. Sorry, you're not getting seeded higher than that. You, that they always say, "Who did you beat?" Right. And it doesn't matter if you have a hundred wins if you only have one. You know, you have to have those wins that prove that you belong on that line. So this would go a long way to prove that they should be in that conversation. 
And and looking at the, the, the computer numbers, Ken Palm has UC 10th, Florida 17th. ESPN BPI has UC 6th and Florida 20th. So this game's on a neutral floor, and the computers feel like UC should win this game. 18 to 8. Uh-oh. <laughs> and and they're doing everything Florida State did. They're running them off the three-point line. They're turning them over a little bit. Mm. Um, they just had a guard go in and get an offensive rebound for a three-point play. Mm. Come on, Florida. Hit some shots, please. This is kind of strange to watch. But, and another guard getting off, the same guy getting offensive rebound, 20 to 8. Loyal Holy Chicago. Lord. Okay. So. Yeah. Maybe, right. maybe it doesn't matter if they beat Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're not going to be any good anyway. Yeah, evidently not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where we're at, man. I, it, it, it's, a, it's a critical win. As I watch them getting their doors blown off by Loyola Chicago, well, well, it's, it's also, a critical yeah, win. Yeah, well, mentally, too, because, you know, yeah. go back to last year, that win at Iowa State took the pressure off. You know, that was the year before they couldn't get those wins, and then they finally got one. And it seemed like they played a lot freer after that. It was, and, and, and I don't know if that's just – if that's real or not, but I just think mentally, especially after getting destroyed – the week before, if you can come back and bounce back and win a game, especially against a team that's ranked, you know, all of a sudden your confidence is back and you can you can keep you know keep grooving through this four game stretch. If you lose and especially if you don't really play well and you're and you lose convincingly, then it's going to be hard to be confident. And you, you know, Mississippi State, I mean, they're not that great, but they'll probably hang around, I would think, because they they can defend and they have some decent players. So. You know, this this four-game stretch just becomes even tougher and tougher as, as they go through it, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with, with Mississippi State, um, I mean, they, they, they barely beat Dayton at Dayton. Mm, they were up by 21, and they almost blew it until Quindary Wetterspoon hit a buzzer beater. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was actually – I was watching it. But, yeah, I mean, they – they just their defensive numbers are off the charts. Their offense is not that good, but they have a couple players, so they have some size down low too that could bother UC. So, you know, they just they present their own challenges and the games at home. But either way, it's it's just I don't I don't think it's going to be a walkover. Is the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's going to be easy. Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination, I I just think it's that you you have to win that game. Like, and that's what I'm saying. You lose this game Saturday, all of a sudden that there's even more pressure on you that on the third game. So it's a tough one, tough gauntlet. That's why they call it a gauntlet. So all right, go talk to your football guy, man. I mean, do I have to? Hello. Yeah. Shane. We'll see if he answers. No. Well, if he's not there, then I guess we'll talk more basketball. That's fine. <laughs> he says it signed him out. Why? Why is it always a problem with this kid? Like kids are supposed to be good at technology, right? I would think they grew up with it. It's always something with him. Always something. Well, what? What's he got? Some recruiting stuff. 
Yeah, it's the they 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 moved up. There's a second national signing day, so we've got one coming up on December 20th. Um, we just had a commitment uh, yesterday, so there's some stuff for him to talk about. Okay. He's he's been wanting to be on the podcast, so I said I would bring him on. And it's it's well, always something. It's always technical something difficulties. Technical difficulties. He's what about the, the thing? The thing with Shane is. And I'm waiting for him to get on the line. The thing with Shane is, technically, he's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) He's still not on the line yet. Are you kidding me? All right. Well, while you're waiting for him, let's let's do a little quick. You got him. Shane. Yeah. What's up? Can, Can you go somewhere that's quiet? Yeah. I'm good. I'm here. I'm good. I'm good. Berg, he begs and begs and begs to be on the podcast, and then it's always a, a deal. It's always an ordeal with him. It's not an ordeal. I couldn't I, – my Skype locked me out. Blame it on the Skype. I thought – like, young guys are supposed to be good with technology. That's not me. You're, all the things that you're supposed to, to give a benefit, you're a negative. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Well, you guys enjoy uh, your football talk. All right, Berg. Thanks a lot, man. I am. Uh, I will be in Newark, and yeah, uh, and live and coverage. We've got double live coverage because Brett Stein is credentialed. He will be there as well. Cool. And I'll be at in Westwood as long as they uh, do play that game. As long as Pauley Pavilion is not on fire, because right. that was that was terrifying today. Yeah, no doubt. H- having lived in L.A., that scene from the 405. If you saw the video today, was wild. Yeah. So, all right, Berg. Thanks, man. And. Uh, the good news is we didn't talk really a whole lot about last Saturday. We kept it on this Saturday. Yeah, I could have, but I didn't want to, so I'm glad you didn't do it. Uh, I didn't want to either. How about this, though? This, this, this bodes well for the Cincinnati offense. Right now, Loyola of Chicago is 10 of 14 from the floor. Make that 11 of 15 with a, 20, with a 27 to 14 lead. So that's how, how we're going to end basketball. Thanks, Berg. Appreciate it, man. Yep. See ya. Shane. Football recruiting. Welcome in. You've been bugging the crap out of me to be on this show. So here's your opportunity. Shane Kinney, our uh, football recruiting analyst, joins me now on the BCJ podcast. Uh, let's start with uh, with uh, the commitment last night. Um, obviously, a guy that that made it wouldn't say made a name for himself, but held his own when he was at Georgia, moving up that depth chart, looked like going into this season, talking obviously about Chauncey Manack. Um, he was he was scheduled to be on the two deep for a team that's playing in the college football playoff. So, um, one, a big get for Cincinnati. Two, it's rare that we're surprised by one. But we were a little surprised by this one, especially he gets a Florida offer. It looks like everything's starting to really heat up with his recruitment. And then unexpectedly, he just ended it and committed to Cincinnati yesterday evening. Well, I thought the same, especially when he got the Florida offer. Um, I, I thought that was, I mean, it just speaks to what Fickle's been able to do, you know, with him getting a guy on campus. And it, obviously, you know, Chauncey saw what he saw or saw what he had to see from Cincinnati and ended his recruitment early. But he's a guy that is an instant impact guy, I think. You know, it, there won't be as much pressure from a guy like Brian Wright off the outside to come, you know, to only be the only pass rusher. And I think they'll be able to get a lot of pressure with a guy like him. 
you know, coming out of high school, he was a number 64 overall player and was, you know, a top five defensive in his class. It's, it's a huge addition to this class and should make him better defensively. Yeah, I mean, that's been, you know, one of the main things we talked about this season with Cincinnati was, was not getting to the quarterback. And if, you know, you've got Kevin Muhan that has been solid. Um, Brian Wright will come back into the fold. You've got Cortez Broughton and Marquise Copeland as seniors. Now you add Chauncey Manak in there. Um, hopefully that defensive line group under Al Washington is able to take the next step because this kid instantly uh, gives you a boost. And there was weren't sure if he was going to be a full-time defensive end or outside linebacker initially, but he's, they're looking at him strictly pretty much as a defensive end. Well, I know they're looking at him as a defensive end, but he's, you know, so athletic that he could play outside linebacker if he wanted to. And, and that's something that's pretty rare for, you know, a program like Cincinnati to get a guy like that. So it's, it's exciting. And I think he's probably one of the biggest, you know, commitments they've landed thus far. Yeah, and, and then you'll, you know, you have some guys on that second unit that have shown some promise inside. You have Malik Vandal, that group. Uh, I would think Blake Basevich is probably a year away, um, just in terms of adding a little bit more additional size and strength. Um, but if that's, you know, the, the thing about Manak that's great, he's going to be here for spring football, right? And he's going to have three years of eligibility because he redshirted his freshman year at Georgia. He played this year at Garden City Community College, so he's only played one year of college football. He'll have three years to play three, uh, which is a big deal. It's a huge deal to get a guy like that because, you know, with the JUCO guys, a lot of coaching staffs are very hesitant because they only get two years with them. And if they're not, you know, giving them something on the field within their first year, it's almost as as if it's a waste. But with him, you're going to get three years. You're going to get a guy who's proven and he and that – as Juco at Garden City, that that's a major Juco. That's like a top five every single year, you know, kind of program. They're always producing talent. So, I mean, he just because he wasn't playing for Georgia, you know, this year doesn't mean he wasn't playing against elite talent because Garden City has elite talent. They play elite talent. They play the best Juco teams in the country. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's a um, that's a, a really big and, and kind of unexpected get that that popped up on us at you know five o'clock last night that. You know, obviously we, we, we had reported him as a visitor. We knew that there was some mutual interest. It just seemed like, if anything, it was one that was going to play out a little bit longer, and I think that was the biggest surprise that it, it came to such a – like Florida was in to see him yesterday. I didn't think the interest was that strong from Chauncey's side, but, I mean, it, when you go on a weekend visit and, you know, this age of recruiting, anything can happen. And, it, and again, like we've said, it shows you how convincing Fickle and his staff can be if they can get you on campus – for a weekend visit. Yeah. Um, this weekend, obviously, we won't give out names until they're on campus. Um, from what I'm hearing, there's only going to be a couple official visitors that aren't committed. I don't expect a big, um, a big weekend of guys that are not committed. I do expect a lot of the guys that are committed to be here for uh, this weekend. Very true. Most of the guys are committed. Again, we're not going to give out names, but and they'll they'll have a few top guys. You know, there's guys who are reported and all that. But again, we're not supposed to be giving out names, so there's not much we can really say. It'll be an interesting interesting um, deal to see what names do show up that aren't committed, because if you have to think if you're bringing those guys around with all the committed guys, it's guys you want to put some heat on. 
Um, that, that's just me giving an opinion, you know, speaking in general. But I think if you do see a few guys pop up that uh, that that aren't committed with this specific group, um, I think it's important. Uh, another thing I think that came out of last weekend that's worth talking about. I could be wrong on this. I think maybe my my I don't want to say. I don't want to say the best player in this class that's already committed for for UC, but I think maybe one of the most important is Arquan Bush. And to have him come in and say he's enrolling early, we expect him to sign early, um, I think that's really big for this staff because getting a guy, a cornerback, that can be a game changer is very much a need, uh, very much a need for Luke Fickle going forward with this program. Yeah, he's a lockdown corner, and and you know it 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 was concerning because you know Urban Meyer Urban Meyer had started to come around his high school, and there was contact, and it wasn't little contact. It was you know by the end of it, towards the two week span that I, I finally was informed that Ohio State was talking to him, it was getting to where it was a heavy amount of contact. No offer had been given out, but when Ohio State comes, you know, knocking on the door, it's I mean that kid's the real deal, and you know from what I've seen on film with him, he's a lockdown corner. He's fast. And he has plays with great ball skills. As high school, he did everything. He played offense. He played special teams. He did it all. I think this is. I think a lot of people because he wasn't built up. You know, we haven't been. We, you know, we personally hadn't been talking to him or hadn't been mentioning his name as much as we have, like guys like Malik Van and Wiley. You know, before they committed, but he's. Ju- I think he's in that group as just as important as Van Wiley. Uh, you know, Montgomery guys like that. Yeah, I'm. I, and, and and not only. Do I think he's a guy at corner that could be a big game changer? But I think he's also in the return game, a guy that can be a game changer. And um, you know, you want to talk about punt and kick returns, and, and and how do you get better on those? There's really only one way to get better on those two units: get a guy that can break it. You know, get a guy that that sees exactly. the field and can, and can take it to the house at any time. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You get a lot better on punt and kick returns if you got a guy that can take it the distance. Well, Cincinnati's got a few few guys in this class, especially with Jalen Jackson, because he's a he's a proven punt return guy for his high school. And you know, Hicks. Montgomery was had, yeah, Montgomery Hicks. Montgomery showed the ability to. So, and there's a lot of guys you can see on special teams early. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, um, not a whole lot else to really get into. You you got anything that that you're you're holding back that you want to hit on? No, I thought I was by tonight, or I thought I was during the podcast, but I, I don't think I have it yet, or I don't, I haven't been informed of it yet. But I think with this weekend, you know, obviously, you know, last weekend there was guys, you know, when we looked at the list that we were like, we were a little bit, we were surprised by. It. I think a guy like Nick Lewis, speaking of him, probably the biggest visitor, biggest target on campus besides Chauncey, was there, and I think he was a guy that surprised me because I thought Cincinnati had backed off, but. You know, Gino was in for an in-home, and they started to really push on him. And depending on how his visit goes to Washington State this upcoming weekend, I think they're very. I think Cincinnati is very much involved, and I think you could argue they're probably right up with Washington State. Now, a lot of, you know, his recruitment will depend on what happens with Mike Leach and, and that staff. But I mean, Cincinnati's done a great job early on, and and it looks like it'll probably come down to a Cincinnati-Washington State battle, and it, it could be interesting with him. And then, you know, with this upcoming weekend. This is a weekend that they're going to push, and they have two guys that we've heard that are that are pretty big targets that appear, you know, that appear to be takes right now. That you know they're going to push for, you know, when you get guys like 
Van and Wiley on campus, they're going to push and they're going to try to get these guys on campus when they're with, you know, big guys and the big guns on campus. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, like we talked about, that's the thing. When you get all of the, you know, a large number of your committed guys, the, the, the recruits that you do bring in are a little bit different than a regular weekend. Um, because they're going to be able to talk to those guys, and, and you're going to try to get them to build a bond with those guys and, and start feeling like a little bit of brotherhood be, between them. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting um, as we head towards signing day. From what I've heard, I, I think most of this class will sign early. I think there's, there could be a few stragglers. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting. This is the hard ah. part with this. And this is what I've been trying to express to Shane as we're as we're learning this. We don't know what's going to happen with the early signing period because we have no historical evidence as to any of it. Like how schools handle this is really going to be a fascinating part of this initial first run, first look at what an early signing period looks like. Because we just don't, we don't have any any data points to say this is look for this or look for that. I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty wild ride on December December twentieth through the twenty second, and, and seeing how all the chips fall and, and every where everything lays when we get to December twenty third. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can happen, but I mean, I've talked to pretty much every commit, and I obviously don't want to say that you know they're confirmed that they're going to sign but I haven't talked to one that doesn't plan to sign right now and and things can change you know stuff can change an offer can come or something like that or they or something happens and you know stuff can always change but as of right now I'd expect like you said the majority of the guys to sign maybe if not all now it's not confirmed or anything but I haven't talked to a guy that hasn't said I would be shocked if it's all just because the law of averages the the way the numbers I, I I'm not expecting all Maybe well, we disagree there. I, my I my just, thing as a coaching staff: if your guy does not sign early, does he lose the ability with the scholarship? Does he lose it if he doesn't sign early? Because for me, if I'm a coach, I take that a little bit personally. It obviously yeah. depends on who you are that you're not going to sign early and you're going to make us continue to recruit for you and recruit I, you. I agree. I agree on that end. I'm just saying we uh, until I have some data points on what this early signing day looks like, I'm not. I'm not going out on that limb that says every kid is going to sign because there's going to be some some stuff that leaves you scratching your head or some you know things that you didn't expect or a guy that you expected that doesn't or whatever the case may be. I don't I I'm not I'm not putting my name on anything in terms of predicting what is going to happen on that day because we just don't know. You know, there's so many examples of things happening on the second signing period where we have you know. 10, 12 years of history doing this job to fall back on. We don't have any of that for this. So I'm ready for, like, I'm not saying I'm ready for, like, chaos, but I'm ready for the unexpected to kind of pop up. Well, speaking of that, you know, a lot of people that I, and I've seen, you know, scrolling through Twitter and going, you know, going on different sites now are, are saying that, you know, there's a lot more decommitments this year. I don't think it's true. I just think all that stuff is happening earlier because of yeah. the signing day. It's not that there's more decommitments or kids aren't as loyal as they once were, it's just happening qu- more quickly, and you're seeing it more quickly, and kids aren't having this, you know, whole month. Because if I'm correct, wasn't De- was December the month le- the- with the previous National Signing Day guideline that wasn't this the dead month? 
Yeah, this December was dead. Exactly. So yeah, this was the dead month. So you never saw anything on December, but that's but when the craziness happened, it was in January. Now it's totally different. So it's going it's going to be weird. It's going to be a little bit different, you know, to see it like this. But I think ultimately, an early signing day like this benefits Cincinnati and a school like Cincinnati. Yeah, I think it does too. But I, I I'm just not um. I'm not in the business of predicting things with no data points. I, 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 I don't trust any of it. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I, no, I, is it is it you're not trusting that, or you're not trusting kids, seventeen year old, eighteen year old kids with the decision? Correct, that too. Like it's all okay. part of it. It all, it all adds in. So, no, I, no, I get it. I mean, I, I've been doing this way too long to uh, to go out on any uh, thin branches. Because they break. <laughs> yeah, quickly. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen that with this cycle with a few guys. So yeah. So, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on tonight. Are you are you are you going to be happy the rest of the night that you were able to be on the BCJ podcast tonight? Okay, so we got dress this for a little bit. Hold on. I am never mad when you guys go on the BCJ podcast. Jeez, podcast. And you and Dave and whoever and Berg, whoever, and you guys talk about football and basketball. When you talk about recruiting for 15 minutes, like the last one, that's when I'm like, okay, that's when I get a little bit upset because that's my thing. We didn't talk specifics. We were setting a stage for your appearance later on. We were, I, don't, we were, I don't think so. I heard numbers being said, and I heard talking about football recruiting. That's what I heard. Yeah, well, you're not very good at hearing either, as I can attest to. <laughs> So I, 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 I get where your argument's coming from. It's just not very strong. <laughs> but, you get but, my, uh, argue, but you get my argument. Yeah, but I just don't usually listen to you. Okay. But that, that's good. <laughs> at least you, you're, understa- you're understanding my argument. So, I mean, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, well if, uh, depending on how things go this weekend, we'll either have you back on next week or for sure the following week um, as, we, uh, as we hit signing day. So appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yep, no problem. He's Shane Kinney. I'm Chad Brendel. Special thanks to Justin Berg. Big game for the Bearcats this weekend in Newark, New Jersey against Florida. I will be there. We will see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.